and welcome back to another episode of the Cloak and Dagger podcast. Uh, you are joined as ever by myself, Patrick, and I am joined. I am joined as ever by my dear friend Will. <laughs> hey, Will, how are you doing? Hey, hey, Patrick, you're right. Yeah, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm excited. We're still on London, which is good fun. Which I know is, yeah. is an exciting one for you because if if you didn't listen to last week or you haven't listened to Will rattle on about how he's from London, Will is from London. Uh, so. <laughs> sorry guilty <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 but it's a fun it's a cool city which i'm, I'm uh, you know and actually i'll be living there soon so i should get used to knowing the history yeah, of the city yeah i was gonna say this is a good entrance for you to to move south from manchester join us London yeah, well, down here to be honest when i was doing a bit of research i was like i need to figure out where these places are because i've heard them all but whenever you mention them, or any of my friends from London say, oh, it's here, and of course they're in over it, like, oh, I'm from Hammersmith, and of course they're over in Clapham, and I had to go north to uh, to Shoreditch or something, I'm like, yeah, yeah, sure, whatever. I have no <laughs> idea where these places are. So, nice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you, like will. you will. It takes some time, but it's it's like a collection of towns than, a, than an actual city yeah. in lots of ways. There's lots of different yeah, cultures. Yeah, it kind of is, isn't it? Yeah. Y- you really feel different when you go into different places, like... Even just like you have these small places. It's a great place. Anyway, go visit, guys. This is not a tourist board announcement, but it's a fucking <laughs> awesome place. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, sure, sure. I mean, I don't know. Maybe at the end of the series, we'll uh, do a summary of which cities we'd most like to visit. Which, yeah. I mean, it'd be weird if we suggested London because we've both been there and you're currently there. But uh, yeah, maybe we can we can decide. Oh, oh no, we should also actually listener at the end of the series or whenever you want, you can let us know uh, which of the time periods. Um, for each city you wanna, you would most like to go to, um, because I think it'd be a it, that'd be a cool idea. Just ignoring the kind of catastrophe events that we talk about, like you wouldn't want to go to Alexandria <laughs> during the tsunami when I was talking about, or maybe New York during Revolution. Actually, all the times we talk about are pretty bloody. Yeah, they, so. I, uh, but if there are listeners out there from countries that we aren't covering, please let us know. Like I know for a fact we we've seen uh, on our demographics that there's a couple of Romanians listening in. Um, Please just mm. let us know what you think, and we can always try and get Bucharest on there. We know there's some Swedes listening as well. Hello, Sweden. Um, and yeah. yeah, just let us know, and we'd like to cover your city. So just uh, just get in touch with us at Cloak and Dagger Podcast, um, and yeah, DM us on there, and we can uh, we can get something sorted for you. Yeah, we kind of hope that like our our podcast is kind can span countries because we don't want it to be Britain focused or Europe focused or even like you know, white English speaking focus, because I think that's what lots of history can be, unfortunately. And we really want to kind of, tra- we're constantly discussing, all right, where can we push it out to next? Like we got to get, you know, proper East Asian or an African uh, story to get in there. I mean, I know we are talking about London at the moment, which is very, <laughs> yeah, Europe- I was going to say, not a good time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, we try to push the bad out. So, yeah, let us know uh, if you're from a country and you want us to cover something. Um, from where you are because you could tell us stories that we don't know i mean we're That's finding the thing. Out if you know stories cities. we are always looking for more content so just let us know yeah yeah, yeah. i mean it make our lives easier if people can just <laughs> yeah maybe we should do that maybe we should start <laughs> doing polls for people to suggest stories to do so they can do half the effort uh, yeah <laughs> that'll, that'll work but yeah so uh this week we are still in london uh and as i said last week we have rocketed forward 800 years to victorian era london which uh, the Victorian era is obviously during the reign of Queen Victoria, which is between 1837 and 1901, which is this kind of huge time in world history, UK history and London history. 
um, because we've got the uh, industrial revolution and the whole world's changing at this point. Um, but yeah, yeah, and we'll be looking all... into. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. I was just going to say you can also thank all the Victorians for our sort of um, terrible mental health as well. And, yeah. our, and our views <laughs> yeah yeah that, that all started the kind of uh, stiff upper lip started back then didn't it like this yeah kind of it did and obsession. like what girls should be doing and what guys should be doing it became very sad. oh yeah yeah i mean i mean this is also hype british empire which is all a bit it's not a great time in our history despite it being not written a, about and talked about yeah, so often it's good for like drama series on bbc but it's not good to actually go back and go oh how great the victorian age was <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> yeah because it it really wasn't that but luckily that is kind of what we're looking at because we are going to be looking at a murder which is almost harkening back to old assassination days um ah, so yeah hope, okay. hope you enjoy it so London at this time in the 19th century had really kind of grown. I mean, over the course of the 19th century, it goes from, you know, maybe second or third biggest city in the world behind like Paris and some other places. But over the course of the 19th century, it becomes the biggest city in the world by a, Whoa, does it? By a pretty huge margin. It's like population at its height, at the biggest difference, it's like a quarter bigger then places like uh, Paris is the main one that's kind of like following behind it. It's just this huge metropolitan city. Over the course wow. of the century, it the population rises from 1 million to 5.5 million. So and that's in about shit. 90 years. So this is a huge... I mean, that's ridiculous increase. I mean, that's 90 years to grow yeah. that big. And it just becomes... And that's what drives this, you know, idea of the city of it being squalid and densely packed because there's there's literally millions of people crammed into this city. And although it is expanding uh, at a rate probably faster than it ever has, it's still not really expanding quick enough to house all these people properly. People are pressed in, especially towards the like center of the city. People are really crammed in like sardines. Like it's, oh, and this yeah. is where things get like kind of a bit grim because this is the time, as I say, of the Industrial Revolution, uh, it's kind of Charles Dickens era, you know, Oliver Twist, but also on the more like darker scale, it's Jack the Ripper, you know, times. It's this really kind of brutal time in history where there isn't yeah. like, no, there's no Viking raids or warlords running around. It's poverty and it's like capitalism that's keeping people down. And it it's hypercapitalism drives... without the welfare state. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's like like it's the is worst just... combination. Of, it is brutal at this no... time. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I looked. So... I remember one. I looked at one thing um, just for a work project that the, they didn't bring in pensions, state pensions, until nineteen o eight. I think. Wow. So for the whole Victorian period, you worked till you dropped because you yes. weren't saving. Yeah. Jesus, yeah, yeah, yeah. such a hard. Yeah, time, the factory right? workers are just awfully treated. They're just like they're little more than slaves, really from the like yeah. factory owner's point of view. And there's this huge class divide that really, I mean, there's always been a class divide, but I think the before now it had been very like no, the nobility, you know, you were rich because of your blood. Now it's you, you got a bit of money. You were rich because you kept making yourself richer. And this is when people yeah. get super like uber wealthy at this time. And this class divide is essentially the class divide we're still dealing with. You know, it's this kind of very powerful capitalist people who are owning these factories, who are just making so much money from all these advancements uh, to the massive detriment 
of all the people working in their factories. It's all pretty miserable. Yeah. It's all, you know, it's, you know, when you don't have to rely, you don't have to look after your people as much when a machine is doing a lot of the work. So welfare is no longer, you know, back in medieval times, if your farmers died, if your peasants died, you would lose out. But now, because there's so many people and because there's machines doing so much more, you don't need to really care that much about people. And it's why they, and they, but they, and they had a massive appetite for workers, which is why, you know, you get kids working in factories, you get some women working in factories. It's all, it's an awful time. It's, it's honestly, it's, it's the worst time. <laughs> <laughs> it is, isn't it? And also, I mean, you're reminding me of um, when you said Oliver Twist. I'm sure some listeners have seen the uh, musical um on i on vhs and uh yeah it reminds school. me of like yeah, the, yeah. yeah like the squalor of those back streets where fagin and the uh the street urchins and the pickpockets are living you know yeah. just imagining yeah, that yeah. just over lots more of london and it just must have been just hell can you imagine how much like disease there must have been let alone like crime. oh yeah 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 it's just it's it, it it's a, it's i mean it's a horrible time to live and although it is yeah. this, and what's interesting is that at this time it's the heart of the british empire it is this you know it's kind of seen it to some people as a utopia to the rich it kind of is this kind of golden city this center of the world but mm. it, but in so many cases you know when the rich get richer the poor get so much poorer and that is what happens to to london at this time which is grim. Pretty, Looking pretty forward grim. to this one, Patrick. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it'll get grimmer. Um, so, for uh, the walkthrough for this Victorian era London, we will be following uh, uh, an elderly lady by the name of Mrs. Julia Martha Thomas, who is a 55-year-old retired school teacher, and Ooh. we'll be following her as he as she makes her way back through the streets of West London, um, back to her cottage, and this is in January 1879. A great year. Great. <laughs> yeah. Great year, yeah, yeah. So being uh, middle class and not hugely wealthy, but still uh, ab above the poverty line, still probably a lot richer than the vast majority of the people living at the bottom of society, Mrs. Thomas would have uh, likely tried to avoid the really, you know, very dodgy parts of town, uh, kind of the best she could. West London at this time, as it is, kind of think uh, nowadays, and I don't know if it's through most of its history, maybe you know, but West London was always a bit nicer. It didn't have quite the kind of really run down rough uh, atmosphere that east london east london's got the white chapel and jack the ripper they're yeah. really really dodgy places so west london would still have a lot of poverty and dilapidation but it's not quite as intense you actually get a few a lot more sort of middle class um slightly more well-off people which is what mrs thomas was okay so she would be making her way through London and the first thing that anyone moving through London, if you were sent back through a time machine or anyone arriving in the city would notice, would be the air because atmospheric pollution at this time was, I think, probably higher than it's ever been in London. One of the highest it's probably been throughout history. I mean, they had this, um, this fog that was known as pea soup fog, which was uh, created by the burning of what's called soft coal that created this noxious pollution fog that spread throughout the city. It was very thick. Ugh. It was often a bit yellowish. 
um, uh, or maybe even like a bit greenish as well, which Key is pretty grim. Yeah, 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 it's really, really grim. Um, and it would contain uh, soot particles and poisonous sulfur dioxide. And it is a really, it's almost deadly and it will kill, it would have killed many people, um, the kind of oh. very old or the very young um, or anyone with like respiratory difficulties. So it's quite likely that Mrs. Thomas would have moved through the city um, with maybe like a, a, a handkerchief over her face, like a thick handkerchief just to protect herself from this pollution. Like and a, also like a face smell. mask like we would today. <laughs> Yeah, like a little bit like that. I mean, there's places, I mean, I know there's places, I think Beijing, lots of people wear, nowadays wear face masks to protect against the pollution. I mean, it would have been even yeah. worse back then. And they wouldn't have really known, you know, the damage it could do. They'd know it's bad because uh, there's a whole thing about miasmas and, you know, uh, pe doctors back in the day used to really think that bad humours in the air were what killed people. And you could really see why they thought that if the city yeah. is blanketed in this grim fog. Um one of the other things she would have also mentioned, not mentioned, would have noticed immediately in stepping out is the kind of filth on the streets. What was they commonly referred to in lots of like old texts, the the mud on the streets. But what's interesting is actually it wouldn't have been mud. It would have pretty much like ninety five percent been horse dung and horse oh, manure. Really? Because London had about 300,000 horses and they never came up with a good way of getting rid of all this. I mean, you know, that's what a horse does. And it would just spread throughout. I mean, if you think there's carriage after carriage going by, people riding through horses, and there's not really much sanitation in the cities uh, at this time. They're really, it's this period where they're building sewers, but it's not established yet. And in the kind of rundown areas, people would just throw things onto the street. No one's running around and cleaning up horse manure. No. So it's. You had to wear like really a crusty grim. pair of boots. I wouldn't be going out in a, you know, a flip flop. Yeah, no, you wouldn't. Would, well, you think there might be kids running around barefoot, which is pretty grim. That's true. But they would have been yeah. used to it. And that's the kind of thing, you know, people who are growing up in this city. They know what it smells like. If you're from a slightly posher, maybe richer suburb, which Mrs. Thomas was from, she might have tried to avoid this and found this a bit unpleasant. But for the, the street urchins, as, as, as Dickens might say, um, <laughs> they would be used to this filth and used to it, which is not good because they really shouldn't be no, um, no it's kind of a it's kind of a grim place to be um the metropolitan police force had also just been set up so as mrs thomas is moving through possibly seeing some uh, young kids running through the streets pickpocketing and causing a ruckus you might see some couple of bobbies running after them which if you're not from <laughs> the uk bobby is a is an old-fashioned term for a police officer, which I didn't realise is uh, it's named after the guy who created the Metropolitan Police Force. He was Robert something. So oh, he, they're, really? they're like I, almost like Bobby's men. The old Bill um, is uh, was is a name for the uh, the police in this country, and uh, mm. that's set up because of Old King William, who's the king before uh, Victoria set it up oh. the first police force, not the Metropolitan Police, but I think the mm. I don't know what they were called. So the old bill has survived till today, and it's named after old King William, who set up the police. So it's yeah. Bill's men and Bobby's men. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a very British thing, isn't it? You just name it after the guy, you know, they don't... No one called them the Metropolitan Patrice Force. They'd say, nah, it's the Bobbies. The Bobbies on the on the corner, um, yeah. chasing after after street kids, pickpocketing. Or the filth, if they're the less filth, inclined the towards filth, them. The filth, the fuzz. <laughs> I mean, there's a hundred different names for the police service, but... Um, but yeah, so welcome to the, the English of... dialect. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So these are the kind of scenes that Mrs. Thomas, as she makes her way through the city, uh, would have seen. The particularly poorer areas, as you say, would have also been rife with disease. 
Tuberculosis, rickets, scarlet fever, typhoid, and smallpox were all really rampant throughout the city. But the real killer was cholera. This was the real awful disease that was kind of new to the to the country at this time. It came over from mainland Europe in 1831, having only arrived in Europe, I think, a year earlier. So it okay. burnt through the burnt through Europe and made its way to uh, to 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 London because London is at this time a really big port, as it kind of always is. But you know, it's got constant trade flowing through it from Europe, and that the when trade flows disease will also follow and in these really unsanitary yeah. conditions people are just dying left and right there's two uh really big epidemics that come out in britain um one in uh 1832 and a second one in 1848 to 1849 both of which killed about 50,000 people so they're God. rough times i mean if you think back when we were talking about the tsunami in alexandria two weeks ago two weeks ago however many weeks ago um that killed like a few thousand people but they saw that as like an act of god whereas these diseases it's on another scale these are like wars yeah. and it is just brutalizing the people and people who can't afford there's no type of you know socialized healthcare or anything not to mention people really didn't really understand how it worked there was they're, they're starting to understand how cholera is spread through water at this time so there is a lot of kind of like big steps forward in science and in health but it wasn't really yeah. translating to protecting that many people because there's just they didn't really have the infrastructure to protect that many people or really rebuild their water systems when people are just throwing filth into the river and i mean the thames at this time would have been disgusting Very i mean as disgusting. it's always i mean it's always been a bit grim and it's a bit grim nowadays but you know no no, no then, it's way better now i read a whole article on it it's there's oh, loads really? of different it's sea life in it it's, it's probably healthier than it's been in like as you say at least 200 years so actually, yeah yeah that's a bit of before, a myth before like, yeah yeah it would have been i mean there was that whale in it i mean i know it died yeah, exactly but, whales whales and sharks and yeah yeah they, they've been all they've been, <laughs> i think they found a seahorse they've, they found a type of seahorse that lives in the thames estuary now and they've got like yeah. seals and all sorts there was a seal at hammersmith bridge the other day just hanging out oh, well yeah God, yeah, it's a, like so, yeah. A, it's like an ocean. It's like a whole. I, it's funny, it's like yeah. Underwater I, I paradise. Know, I don't know what they've done <laughs> recently, but like, in, I feel like in our lifetimes, it's it's sort of reawakened, which is a good thing. So yeah, anyway, well, sorry, you wouldn't have got you wouldn't have got any of that during the Victorian era. I wouldn't be imagine. I don't imagine it's probably toxic at that at this time. I mean, it's just you know, it's it is. I mean, it's still the lifeblood of the city. Not maybe in drinking water terms, but in trade. You know, it is still such an important location as London always is. But yeah. it's still it's still a pretty grim place, and it's just so densely packed, which is actually made worse by the fact that being the heart of the British Empire, London is a you know a hot destination for immigration. It's a bit of a weird way to put sure. it, a hot destination for immigration. I couldn't really think of a way, you know the the it place to go if you're an immigrant. Um, but they had huge numbers of people. Yeah, I guess it does. So they had huge numbers of people flooding into the city, particularly uh, Irish. Uh, there was a huge wave of Irish immigrants, essentially refugees from the Great Famine that had just sort of ravaged the entire country. And actually, I mean, that's some ironic, point, isn't it? Since it was the British who caused that, or the English. Yeah. Well, you know, that's. I mean, that's normal. That, that's quite a common thing throughout history. That you know, actions made abroad by generals and by awful people. You know, they'll reap what they sow when immigrants and refugees Come flood into their help. Yeah. yeah, into their country. 
I mean, we could talk about Afghanistan now, but that's probably putting a downer we're, on, we're not. on the yeah, podcast. Let, let, let's move on. Um, but yeah, at some point uh, during the 19th century, the Irish population in London was estimated to be about 200,000, which was greater than the populations of Limerick, Belfast and Cork combined. So there were more Whoa. Irish people in London than there were in these huge Irish cities, which is... Pretty intense. After like the famine, it's a big yeah. deal. I mean, to be fair, they were, you know, they were probably gutted by that point because I think a million died and a million fled. So yeah. I, I, and yeah. I, I know that Ireland still hasn't recovered its pre-famine population. Yeah, no, it's today. It, it was it was devastating, and so and so many of them just fled to 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 England, and you would go to London because if you want yeah. a job, if you want work, a city is where you get it. And although, and which means you have to put up with this squalid wretch of a city it is, isn't it? I'm being very negative about it, but everything I read, it would have been nightmarish to live there unless you are the uber wealthy. Um, yeah. Which Miss Th- Mrs. Thomas wasn't, but she was, you know, fairly well off, middle class. So actually, the chance of her interacting with Irish immigrants, or you know, there were also uh, quite a big Jewish population and Italian populations, but the chances of her really interacting with these people was kind of slim living in West London in a slightly nice area. What she would have interacted with a bit more was the really huge development of railways in the city. Industrial Revolution, especially Britain and London, they loved a railway, they love a train, (laughs) and that's what's being built all across London, both above and underground, because this is when the London Underground is begun, the first uh, underground railway station and line is created at this time so you can imagine moving through you'd have you'd have you know tracks being laid but she might even if she pauses for a bit could hear building work underneath her feet as they create these lines under the under the city which would be really weird and very strange for 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 people who've never never experienced you know underground trains it sounds fantastical and bizarre to those people I, I know that some of the earliest plans for the London Underground was actually to make it a barge system. So that it would was, have been very yeah. different commute. Can you yeah, imagine it would have been that? Just... Very <laughs> weird nowadays. Work? Imagine if you... Yeah, they, they improve it by just giving everyone speedboats underwater. Which well, that, I was going to say, the barges really um, in, in Maida Vale, which is kind of like Little... Well, it's also called Little Venice in London, uh, still use coal. There's a coal man who goes up and down. So they're still powered really? by coal today. So... They would have been so dirty. Can you imagine? Yeah. I mean, yeah, if you think of how bad the pollution was when you were in the open air, down in those tunnels would have been, I mean, they would have just Oh, yeah, with those trains, which people. had cold. Oh, my God. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Wouldn't want to live in this time period. Um, no. But, yeah, so, <laughs> so these trains uh, were obviously kind of, you know, improving efficiencies for factories and, you know, really helping the city actually expand out quite a bit. However, it had this other effect of further is acerbating the class divide because the rich and the wealthy or even just the middle class were now able to move out into the slightly cleaner quieter safer suburbs of london and then ride a train into town whereas the poor were forced to stay in these kind of slums in the center of the city where they're all crammed in and i guess near the factories and stuff yeah absolutely near the factories and also the places further out would have been far more expensive because you know they're cleaner air, they're much there's more, there's more room so they can build bigger houses, and it's kind of just a nicer way of living there. Sure, cool. And this is what our dear Mrs. Thomas would have done. She, she was uh, probably on her way out of the city, um, possibly passing these slightly more dilapidated areas. But 
going to a quieter, nicer suburb of London, um, and a, a suburb of London that is kind of still quite posh today, which I believe, Will, you would know a lot about because she was living in Barnes. Ah, my hometown. Well, home exactly. part of London. Oh, yeah. okay. So, yeah. Mrs. When was Mrs. this? Thomas. The 1870s? 1870s, yeah. Interesting. I've so done all Barnes, sorts of work on Barnes history. That's really interesting. Yeah. I'm very well, yeah, I, I, I did have to run this by you, and I'm, I hope you haven't heard the story. You, you hadn't recognised the names, which because I, I didn't want to give away too much. Um, ah. So hopefully, I'm, te I'm teaching you a bit about your whole your own town, which is kind of cool. Yeah, because Barnes, Barnes at this time. Yeah. Well, maybe you can explain where Barnes because it's in Richmond, which is kind of West London. Uh, you would, could probably explain more where it is than I could, what? given that you grew up there. <laughs> Yeah, no, just uh, it's south of the river. Uh, if, if any of you guys have ever heard of Hammersmith Bridge, it's the big green bridge that crosses the Thames. Um, just to the south of it, on the south bank, is Barnes, and it's a it's sort of in a, um, a loop of the Thames, which means it was a very sort of wetland place until the, the Victorians drained it and then built some posh houses. Um, but there was a medieval village there, and it's in the Doomsday Book. And... Sir Francis Walsingham, um, the spy master for Elizabeth I, uh, lived at Barn Elms in the massive house there. So, um, wow. yeah, it was always—it's always been a little village. It's always been a bit of a backwater, but at this stage, it's hmm. starting to have a bit of a, a boom period. And the only reason I know all of that is because I have a business where I sell house histories to people in Barnes. <laughs> so I've done my history on on the Barnes thing. I'm quite surprised I haven't heard this story, but I'm really intrigued now. <laughs> I mean, I maybe you have. I mean, it's not. It's maybe not a tale you want to tell people about their houses, because actually, if the if the house in this story um, is actually <laughs> oh, being sold, they the might house. they might. Oh, uh, well, I yeah, yeah. Re I'm really excited to hear about this now. Come on, tell me <laughs> it now. I want to hear it. So yeah, so yeah, so Mrs. Thomas would have made her way back uh, to her house in Barnes, and Mrs. Thomas is putting out an advertisement for a new housekeeper. She's looking for someone to look after her. She's largely lived alone, possibly with some servants, um, and she's looking for this housekeeper to kind of help her out in her older age. You're looking at me like you, with minor recognition. Do you reckon you know the no, story? No, no, I'm not, I'm, I'm not head-scratching for that purpose. <laughs> not that you can tell that <laughs> from the podcast. Um, but no, I'm just, I'm so intrigued. I'm, I'm so switched on. Not that I wasn't before, but now I'm like, ooh, this is, <laughs> this is like my, I feel like I should know this story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I'm, I'm really glad I could tell you something that you don't know about your own town. Um, yeah. But Mrs. Thomas was living in uh, the left portion of a semi-detached cottage known as Two Mayfield Cottages. I assume the two is her side of it. So the, the cottage itself oh, would sure. have been the Mayfield Cottages, which would have been typical kind of English house, two stories high and surrounded by a garden. Nice kind of middle class house, not uber expensive but certainly a, a cut above a lot of the really like impoverished areas. And, you know, Barnes mm -hmm. at this time, as it is, as, you know, Will would know, it's kind of a nice, posh, slightly rich, not uber rich, but a nice area. Um, yeah. And Mrs. Thomas had put out this advertisement for a housekeeper to look after her. And she got uh, someone to come back to her. A 30-year-old Irish woman uh, applied for the job and Mrs. Thomas accepted Okay, an Irish woman. So one of the uh, 200,000 who came over with the famine, I'm guessing. Or oh, I guess, yeah. hang on, 1879. So she's probably been there a while if she's come over in the famine. Because famine was the 18, 1850s or 1840s, I think. 
Yeah. Um, oh, but okay. So, yeah, 1850s. So I think she probably would have came over a bit later. So this woman, this uh, housekeeper, um, her name is Kate Webster. And we actually have a photo of her. So if you listeners would like to see a photo of her, you can go over I do. to... Yeah, I know. <laughs> you can go over to our Instagram at Cloak and Dagger Podcast um, and we'll put a photo of her. It, it, I'm fairly sure it's a full photo. Will, you can look on my notes that are in our shared drive. It's at the bottom. It's a pretty haunting photo and is pretty bloody scary. Um, it's right at the bottom. Uh, yeah, I'm just uh, getting up. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, she's got a really haunting scary look it's quite a stern face i'm not entirely sure when or for what reason this photo was taken um there might Whoa. be more of a reason later in the story Zina. oh my goodness it's hot yeah it's, it's quite you know what i have done a little bit of um well i just watched fake or fortune if anyone who's watching it it's a great series um on uh bbc and they touched up a lot of photos they did lots of photoshopping uh but like done by hand if this has come from a newspaper they might have made her look more evil as a result. But I don't ah, know how. I see. They, 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 that was a technique. So, I mean, she's yeah, still looking yeah, very yeah. stern anyway. It's very Goodness severe. Me. And, I mean, it's, it's the eyes, I think. They're striking. I mean, they've made a real effort to make the irises and the things quite deep black. And then the, yeah. and then the whites around them is very clear. So it gives this really striking look. Quite um, I mean, luckily, she's not, she's not looking at the camera or whatever it was which i think is good because it's it would be really off-putting if she was looking right at you but yeah. yeah pretty scary you can also see a picture of uh mrs thomas as well uh on the instagram as well and you can see it just below who looks, she looks like... very kind she's a kind she looks woman, very kind like. kind kind yes. little old lady she doesn't even look that old there i mean but she's 55 at the time so i mean maybe you're right actually they kind of tweaked which which one they want to make look a bit more evil which is a slight spoiler for what's coming up but i think <laughs> if you've seen that image you can't be surprised about where this story's gonna go god okay let's hear it so kate webster um unbeknownst to her new employer actually had a bit of a quite a checkered past she was actually kind of a career criminal she had first been imprisoned for larceny in ireland at 15 years old and since then had been involved in petty crime ever since um, and when she was 30 uh, in 1879 at the age when she meets mrs thomas she had already served multiple sentences for theft so Actually, she had a bit of a checkered yeah. past and clearly was not informing her new uh, employer because I don't think Mrs. Thomas, who is a kind of good, upstanding Christian citizen, would ever hire this. Uh, I mean, clearly, Mrs. Miss Webster could put on a face and, you know, show herself uh, as, you know, a, a good citizen. Because yeah. clearly she was able to hide this this checkered past. But, but still. And to the, to the detriment of Mrs. Thomas. So Mrs. Thomas offers her the job and they immediately start working together and kind of straight away their relationship turns sour. Mrs. Thomas apparently has very high standards of cleanliness and of housekeeping and she felt that her new housekeeper really wasn't up to snuff. Miss Webster wasn't good at cleaning. Uh, Mrs. Thomas would openly talk about how poor her cooking was and they just really did not have a good relationship from the start. We actually okay. have some of the um, uh, so, some comments that Miss Webster would say later on, saying that at first I thought her a nice old lady, but Mrs. Thomas's cleaning standards were too strict, and she would point out the places where she, 
point out the places where she said I did not clean, showing evidence of a nasty spirit towards me. So Miss Thomas does not like uh, Miss Webster's cleaning and Miss Webster does not like Mrs. Thomas's overbearing, strict nature. So they're just really not getting okay. on. They're yeah, really not, not working good, well together. Not good juju. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. no. And to be honest, it's, the way, if you hear it from Miss Webster, it sounds like it's just this really strict old crone. But actually, Miss Webster, um, she was a bit of a drunk, actually, and spent a lot of her time going to the pub down the road, a pub that was known as the Hole in the Wall, which I think even from the name, you can imagine it's probably a bit of a, you know, uh, irreputable... <laughs> a lean-to. ...establishment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, it's probably a bit of a rougher. And she would go around there but and drink. To, to be fair, though, to be fair, we shouldn't judge, because we don't know... If she's come over from the famine, she might ha have had some sort of trauma. She probably had relatives who had died, which has had a knock-on effect. You know, she might have been yeah, a drunk, she would... but she... I mean, I don't know what she's about to do. I'm imagining something horrific, but, you know... <laughs> We don't want to judge her too much at this point, just as a listener. She's come from a like, she's come from a rough background. I mean, coming from Ireland during this time, they were going through awful stuff. And actually, theft might have been the the way you survive in that time. Well, quite, you know, yeah, exactly. You wouldn't, you aren't, you aren't stealing to get rich. You might be stealing to survive, which might yeah. be the 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 conditions that Miss Webster comes from. So yeah, you're right. We shouldn't we shouldn't treat her harshly. Quite yet. At this point, I feel like you're <laughs> you're really uh, foreboding. <laughs> God knows. Yeah. I mean, just look at her face. I mean, look at her face. I mean, it's, it's horrifying. I'm not going to be able to sleep um, after <laughs> after seeing that image. So, after about a month, Miss Thomas decides enough's enough. I can't have this woman working for me anymore. So she gives uh, Miss Webster notice, and Miss Webster asks, "Can I work a few more days? Can we just keep going till this Sunday, and then I'll be out of your hair?" And Mrs. Thomas begrudgingly agrees and thinks fine you know she'll get a bit more money maybe it'll help her move on it would be cruel to just kick her out on her ass with nothing to fall back on you know she's a good christian been... woman she's not yeah. cruel she just doesn't like this woman would have been an awkward few days though sorry just giving yeah giving yeah the sack, proper, but proper awkward you know, but i mean but me, then it's been awkward the entire time yeah yeah, it's yeah. The, i don't think they've ever really got on so sunday rolls around and so the Mrs. Thomas gives uh, Miss Webster notice on the 28th of February. So Sunday rolls around, which will be the 29th or something. Um, uh, if no, it's a leap 20... year. <laughs> yeah, 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 good point. Um, <laughs> or it's okay. the 1st of March. It doesn't, it doesn't say the date, so I think it's the 1st of March or the 2nd of March or something like that. Um, okay. It's not the date's not really important. But Sunday rolls <laughs> around and Miss Webster has spent the morning getting drunk in her favourite local pub which means she okay. is late turning up to uh, Mrs. Thomas's house to take her to church, because obviously it's... it's and it's, a, it's later afternoon church, I guess. Mrs. Thomas, a bit older, she probably, you know, can only get get around with the help of her of her housekeeper. So, but Miss Webster turns up, he's probably a bit tipsy, she's late, and she takes Mrs. Thomas to church, and they're at each other's throat a bit, they're both agitated... Mrs. Thomas is annoyed that she's been, she's you know, she's arrived late to church. Things don't go, you know, they're both a bit unhappy with each other. They And they yeah. go home. This what, they the don't even go to time. church? No, no, they go to church. Yeah, they have to go to church, obviously. But <laughs> after church, they both go home. And this is actually the last time Mrs. Thomas will be seen publicly. Really? Which is pretty creepy, yeah. Okay. So, I wonder which church it was. It might have been St. Mary's. I don't, sorry, sorry. Far too local <laughs> yeah, because you'll know all the churches, yeah. Um, I'm imagining the story on the streets of my childhood. You're about to ruin all of my... You're going to give a nightmare, <laughs> nightmarish tinge to my yeah, childhood. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty creepy. 
Um, the the ghost of Miss Webster will be haunting uh, Barnes from forevermore. Um, yeah. So that evening, Mrs. Thomas's landlady's mother, who is the woman living in the other house in this semi-detached cottage, uh, a woman oh, yeah. by the name of Jane Ives, when she's you know settling down for her evening meal, she over her overhears a commotion in her next door neighbor's house. And she says she heard a sound like the fall of a heavy chair, which, you know, you might, you know, perk up, listen in, not really sure what's going on. Nothing to really worry about. It's just a bit of falling over furniture. Nothing to worry about. The next day, um, actually for the next few weeks, Mrs. Thomas, who is, as I said, a devout Christian, suspiciously stops showing up to church. And the people around town, you know, it's a small community. People are a bit worried. You know, why is this woman who's probably coming to church every day is no longer coming? Whereas Miss Webster seems to have a new lease on life. She is far more positive. She's probably still drinking quite a bit, but seems to be, you know, emanating a joy and a happiness that she wasn't for the weeks and months before then. She actually starts meeting with a man uh, named Henry Porter, who was a former neighbour of hers, and told him that she had married a man named Thomas and that a wealthy dead relative had left her and her husband the house, the two Mayfield cottages. Thomas? Wait, wait, wait. Okay. Whoa, whoa, whoa. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you're starting to see... Because Mrs. Thomas is, is her employer, right? Mrs. So Thomas it's... is her employer, but Miss Webster is going around and telling her old friends that she's spontaneously married this man, Mr. Thomas, and right. that the her husband and her have been left this lovely house, and she is looking for someone to sell the furniture and the furnishings of this house because she wants to move on. So she's looking for someone to uh, purchase all this stuff, and actually Henry Porter puts on to a man who offered £68 for a good deal of the furnishings, which is a lot of money back then. It was wow. about four and a half grand um, by today's standards. So, a, you know, quite a no small big sum. chunk of money. Yeah, yeah no small sum. Um, Henry Porter's son also helps Miss Webster carry a suspiciously heavy box from her house to uh, a nearby bridge. Don't know which bridge. Uh, I know I you're know, probably no, trying no, to no, think which It's Barnesbridge. It's Barnesbridge. It's not Barnes Bridge because oh, okay. Barnes, that's the bridge oh, yeah, I do sure, know sure. about. So it's another bridge, supposedly more upriver. So whatever the, the next bridge upriver from Barnes Bridge is. Chiswick. Chiswick Bridge. Probably, probably Chiswick It's bridge. the next bridge up. There's literally no well, other bridge between the two. Ah, okay. So this, this guy, Henry Robert, his son, uh, sorry, uh, Henry Porter, his son, Robert, is helping Miss Webster carry this weird, heavy box to this bridge where... Miss Webster's like, I've got a friend. He's coming to pick it up. I'm going to pass it over. Don't worry. Just don't, just don't worry about it. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> and so sends Robert off. But Robert, as he's walking away, and he's quite a far, far distance away, he hears a faint splash from behind him, which confuses <sighs> oh him a God. bit. But then when he sees Miss Webster again, she's like, don't worry about it. It was fine. You know, don't, I don't know what that splash was. My friend came and picked up the box. It's all fine. It's all fine. Let's get to selling this furniture, which I've inherited and I need to get rid of. Oh, my God. Okay. However, unsurprisingly, that splash was the box, um, which Miss Webster had thrown into the water. 
but it didn't stay in the water, unfortunately for Miss Webster, because a coal porter discovered it near Barnes Railway Bridge, which I assume is Barnes Bridge nowadays. Yeah, yeah, Barnes Bridge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it had floated down and had, you know, come up against the shore, and this coal porter found it and was horrified to find its bloody contents, which was a woman's torso um, oh. and legs minus one foot. So no arms, oh my God. no head, uh, and missing a foot. Which is a pretty what grim a sign if you're just if you're just yeah. if you're just a, a coal porter, which I assume is like a guy who transports coal. You know, <laughs> yeah. <I think> you <laughs> just rocks up and goes, huh weird chest let's see what's in here oh my god there's an entire body in here or most of a body <laughs> no which not, was not worse. an entire body yeah i think oh. in finding an entire body would be more okay than finding not an entire body so oh. this is where things start to come out and, what get bad and... for mrs thomas yeah funny that yeah 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 <laughs> things haven't gone well clearly things haven't gone well well the problem is is that um Forensic technology at this time is obviously pretty limited, and the police aren't able to identify the body without a head. They need, there's no way, there's no DNA analysis, there's no real, there's no markings on the body to help identify her. And what they do, however, what they do also, they also find uh, a foot in the nearby suburb of Twickenham, which they are able to figure out this is part of the same body, but they're still not able to find out who this body is. And actually the papers take hold of this and after they buried the remains, the papers and the press uh, begin talking about this, calling it the Barnes Mystery because there's just this unknown corpse that washed up uh, on the Thames and no one knows who it belongs to. Which what the is fuck? pretty weird. Wait a minute. How on earth did it reach Twickenham? Twickenham's upriver. So unless someone took it out, maybe a dog fished it out of the water and just picked it up. Well, no, so the foot wasn't found in the water. The case was, but the foot was actually just found in a vegetable patch. It just turned up and obviously was brought to the police and the police logged it somewhere and some clerk inside the Metropolitan Police went, well, I've got a body with a missing foot and I've got a foot. (laughs) Maybe we should check if these come together, which is interesting. I love the fact that these guys, although they couldn't, you know, work out the identity, they could figure out the foot is from this body. I guess they can look at the skin and the, the size severing. of the feet. You just put it yeah, the se- it. yeah, make yeah. They realise it's got the same. It's got the same. It's from the same place. The cut would have been made in the same place on each injury. Ugh. So they're able to figure out that this is the same body, but they're still not able to figure out whose it is, which is the big mystery. Which is why it's called right. the Barnes mystery. I see. Right. And I'm interested. I'm, when I said Barnes mystery, I was wondering whether or not that would go ding in your head. And you're like, oh, I've heard something well, about that. But you know not. what? To be to be honest, I came across this story, but I caught it in a in a newspaper when it must have been the time where they didn't really understand what had happened, and they found this foot, mm. and it was like, what the hell's this? And I couldn't be bothered to go and look into this story. So I, it just shows <laughs> if I had, I'd be like, ah. Oh. So actually, you've. you've you're helping me out. I like this. I'm solving a mystery one. that you read about because you read it when it was still an uncertain, yeah. you know, no one knew what it was. It was just this random body that showed up. Exactly, exactly. So I have heard of it, but it's just like not on my radar. <laughs> Offhandly, yeah, yeah, yeah. While this is going on, delivery vans have started showing up outside of Mrs. Thomas's cottage, despite Mrs. Thomas not having been seen for nearly two, three weeks. And her neighbours are starting to go really suspicious, particularly her neighbour, um, Jane Ives, and uh, which is her landlord's mother, but also her landlord, who's Miss Ives the Younger. They're starting to get really suspicious of what's going on. And so 
this younger girl, Miss Ives, who I believe is Mrs. Thomas's old landlord, she goes round to start questioning uh, the the delivery men. You know, what are you doing? Why are you driving? And they say we are taking this furniture away for Mrs. Tom- Thomas, which is okay. interesting because Miss Webster so then must pass herself off as married to a Mr. Thomas. So it's, oh. she's essentially playing as Mrs. Thomas. However, when Miss Ives asks the delivery men, can you go fetch Mrs. Thomas? I need to speak to her because I haven't seen her for two weeks. Miss Webster shows up and Miss Ives recognise her on site. So the gig is oh, kind God. of a bit up at this point. Mrs. Miss Webster then uh, tries to like weasel out of it saying that, oh, Mrs. We- Mrs. Thomas has just moved away, but I can't quite remember where. But things she's starting to realize this this is up so actually she flees to ireland she doesn't take her money she thinks i need to get out of here the buck is catching up with me she flees she's out of the country and she makes it all actually all the way to ireland but because of all this intrigue and because they're not sure the police and the authorities search two mayfield cottages and they find a pretty grisly scene there are bloodstains everywhere, some showing some kind of sign of cleaning in a kind of attempt to clean it up. There are charred bones in the kitchen grate. Uh, there's a weird oh fatty substance behind the laundry boiler. Um, and they oh also, in this search of this kind of nightmare machine, but they also find Miss Webster's address in Ireland, which means they are then able to oh, send the boys over, send the bobbies to Ireland, and she is arrested and brought back to London to stand trial. Who leaves their address lying around? Like, what yeah, the hell? You've had smart. how long? Weeks. And you think, Weeks. oh, you know what? I'm yeah. just going to leave my, my fucking address out when I leave. When yeah, I yeah, yeah. It's oh. pretty... Yeah, she's been... She's been. It's, it's weeks and she's just... I mean, maybe it was in letters or something, but she clearly did not do a good job of getting rid of any evidence of where she could be found. I mean, because if you flee to Ireland... It's hard for them to find anyone just in Ireland. She could have taken her <laughs> name. She could have just disappeared into the Irish countryside. But for some reason, Ugh. she left a letter saying where she's going. And, she's and, clearly and, not yeah, the brightest. She could have just gone to another place. Even the house next door would have been a far enough way away to, yeah. to not get She caught. just didn't go to her address. But yeah. yeah. So she's caught and brought back to, to London to stand trial. And the trial is a pretty big spectacle. Huge crowds gather in because of this story in the press. It is getting a lot of attention, and she is immediately tied to what now is being assumed the death of Mrs. Thompson. And the press and the police are starting to put two and two together and think this body is connected to this disappearance and this woman. And so the press oh and God. the crowds and the public are now obsessed with this story, this mystery that is finally kind of unraveling in front of them. And so the the courtroom becomes filled with onlookers. Even outside the courtroom, people are like standing all over the place to try and uh, you know be there when new information comes out. What a sensational story! I mean, I'm pretty sure 1879 isn't that pre Jack the Ripper. Pretty um, sure it is. Good point, actually. That's I, th- I think it might be as well. Uh, so and you know you associate sensationalist Victorian murders with the east end of London. This is happening in the west side of London. This, this is, is happening really in the west side, yeah. Yeah, um, Jack the Ripper was 1888 to 1891, his okay, reign of Okay, ten terror. years later. 
So it's yeah. 10 years later. So this is before then. And what is, it's like what you're saying, what's making this a kind of even more salacious story is its location and the fact that it's a woman on trial. Not only a woman, but it's a woman who has supposedly attacked and killed her better. If you know what I mean? You know, she is a housekeeper. Oh, the class it's system. Just, mm. You know, it would be the talk of the town at the moment because every... I mean, you kind of think because it is because it goes across classes, both classes would be talking about it. You know, the, the, yeah, the commoners, yeah, yeah. the common folk, the lower classes, the working classes would be interested in the story because it's, you know, some of them are probably thinking, oh, good for her, you know, sticking it to the, yeah. to the, to the man. Done in, and then, done in the man, yeah. Yeah, yeah, whereas all the, you know, elite, nobility, not, you know, the, the rich are probably eyeing their housekeepers and keeping them on a bit closer guard because they're... They're more regularly like, oh, washed. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're 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 a bit more worried, to be honest, and a bit more, you know, it's, it's, ugh, this can't happen. What the the working class is rising against us? It's preposterous. We're not safe yeah. in our own beds. And Irish as well, which wasn't a good thing. And Irish, were... which wouldn't, yeah, that wouldn't help. But it's also the fact that it's a woman. Is that there's this kind of uh, old-fashioned Victorian ideals of femininity, which would be, you yeah. know, they're moral, they're passive, they're not really physically strong, and certainly not strong enough to kill anyone. And Miss Webster is throwing all that out the window. I mean, you've seen the image of her. She's scary. She's supposedly quite tall and actually quite strong and lean. Um, okay. And is just not fitting this idea of this, you know, elegant woman that people have in their head, which is, of course, bollocks. You know, women are just as capable of killing. But this as, is what we we're saying: are. Victorian sensibility. There's exactly. a predisposed yeah. idea of like a, a, the gentle sex. You know, yes, and that if there was anything wrong with you, it was because you're of the nerves, women's nerves. You know, they might faint. Yeah. It's yeah. Like, Fucking hell. No. No one thought Miss Webster was the fainting kind. I mean, I think if you looked in her oh, eyes, sure. you'd be, you'd faint. Yeah. I think a full-grown man would faint. Well, but, that photo, so, as I say, may well have been doctored. Remember that. Yeah, but I'm imagining it's not because it's more fun. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Which I know I'm just is putting very unhistorian for I'm, me. I'm, <laughs> sorry, yeah. I'm taking away the sensationalism. Carry on. Yeah, I'm on the side of the newspapers blowing this out of proportion. Which I shouldn't say. Well, I mean, they cut up a, nowadays. She cut up a body. I mean, that is just. There's no forgiving that. Allegedly, I mean, allegedly. I mean, we're going to get to it, but at this point, allegedly. <laughs> okay. All right. So, I mean, court of a public opinion, and it it all goes. But then people might have thought it can't have been her because she's a woman. So maybe, and actually, this does tie into her defence because early on she professes that she's completely innocent. She initially blames. Actually, she blames. Henry Porter and also the man who bought her furniture trying to shift the blame onto these people who were kind of circumstantially involved in this uh, awful ah, act okay. however they both have really solid alibis and are quickly thrown out she then tries to blame her ex-boyfriend uh, a man who supposedly is called Mr. Strong although there's almost a suggestion that actually he might not exist she also does have a son who she kind of semi looks after um, and she okay. says, you know, this is my son's father, um, but it's actually him who did the who did the murder. But most of this is she her story isn't kept straight, and she's not really. I don't I don't I don't know if they have uh, defense uh, lawyers in at this time. You know, they, it might she might I, kind of be a bit mm. bull rushed into this. Yeah, very possibly. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. interesting. So things don't go well for her and she is eventually she is convicted of the crime of killing her employer and actually the night before her execution because she is sentenced to death she finally confesses that she did murder mrs thomas 
Does she? And okay. she uh, accounts what happens. So it does. Ha- it does happen that day of the church when she arrived. You know, when the church service, she arrived drunk to Mrs. Thomas's house. They were bickering. They weren't happy with each other. They go home, and according to Miss Webster, their argument ripened into a quarrel, and that it turned violent and that she threw Mrs. Thomas from the top of the stairs to the ground floor. So a flight of stairs, 55-year-old woman living in, you know, poor healthcare London. Obviously, that's going to go badly. And that was probably the sound of the chair that her neighbour had heard falling down. Of course. And you'd maybe think that after that you'd hear screams and moans, but that is exactly what Miss Webster thinks. So to prevent Miss Thomas shouting and screaming and alerting her neighbours which could send Miss Webster to jail she runs over to her and strangles her to death <gasps> to oh stop her God. from screaming which is pretty intense. She deserve, She describes it as she lost control which, you know yeah, I mean, great excuse. in a rage yeah, yeah but yeah, these yeah. women did not like each other. Miss Webster also was probably still a bit drunk um and was and then in that moment where she's pushed her employer down the stairs which you could think of you know there may have been a bit of an altercation she's stronger and maybe it was even an accident that she uh threw the initial Mrs. Thing, thomas yeah. down the stairs but now she's thinking i've already been in jail i have a son i have to look after i don't want to go back to jail i need to kill this woman because she is just because that's her done if she's attacked her employer she's done for good really she could be in jail she could i don't think she'd be hanged but she could go to jail for a very long time so yep, she acts fair. and strangles her employer strangles dear old mrs thomas and afterwards she then describes it as she was determined to do away with the body and she does this by chopping up the limbs boiling them in a laundry tub burning some Whoa. of the remains in the hearth and then dividing what remains were left over into the heavy box that was thrown into the water that was her undoing that we spoke about earlier, as well as two heavy bags that she was actually seen wandering around and in the pub with a couple days after uh, Mrs. Thomas had vanished. Yeah, she just had them with her. And then she actually went to the pub with Henry Porter, and in Henry Porter's presumably testimony recounting the events going on, he says she showed up with these two heavy bags, we didn't really ask any questions. She went off for a bit and came back without them. Didn't really think about them. And then these months later, they're like, bloody hell, that was probably a body and a corpse that she was just disposing of. Well, I guess it was the bits. If it wasn't the bits that she put into the box, it was the head and the foot. So it was, yeah, it was probably, it, well, it, I imagine it would have been the arms. Or the weirdly, arms. Because or the, the arms, foot, yeah. yeah, there was the arms. And the foot was buried in a vegetable patch in Twickenham. I'm not really sure what she was thinking because she's, I guess, spreading them out was her idea. But she kind of did it a bit spread. Yeah, Twickenham's a, a long way from Barnes. Yeah, far yeah, 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 yeah. It's, a, and, it's, and an, it's to odd to try then? and go that far. Well, that's the thing. The head, she doesn't say. She doesn't, she never says where she got rid of it. And actually, when this trial comes to a close, even after she's executed, she never reveals where Mrs. Thomas's head is, which is, oh and it's God. not, it's it's not revealed afterward. They 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 never find it. Oh, that is grisly. I will not be digging around in Bond's back gardens. <laughs> no, well, but that's what's quite funny because this story actually has a modern twist, which is why I really like Ooh. it, and it's why it gets even bizarrer. Because in 2009, so what's that, 12 years ago, none other than Sir David Attenborough 
bought a vacant pub next door to his house that was actually the former home of The Hole in the Wall, the pub that Miss Webster was frequenting. And during some building works, while they were excavating, uh, the builders or contractors saw a dark circular object that they dug up <gasps> that turned out to be a skull, which after examination looked like it had uh, damaged the back of her head from uh, like a... Uh, a blow to the back of the head, possibly from falling down the stairs. And it also had supposedly low collagen levels consistent with being boiled. And a local coroner said there was clear and convincing and compelling evidence that the skull belonged to Julia Martha Roberts. Sorry, Julia Martha (laughs) Thomas. I was going to say, who's Julia Julia Martha Roberts? Roberts. (laughs) Some random woman who happened to have her head cut off. No No way. Julia Martha Thomas, yes. So, what's that? So, 2009, 1879, uh, that's... Uh, go on, go on, Patrick. 100 and... Is that 100 and... Yeah, 130, 130 years, years later. 130 years, yeah. Sir David Attenborough buys a pub, turns it into, I guess, more of his house or something, and discovers the long-missing head of this poor 55-year-old retired school teacher who was brutally murdered and cut up in the Victorian era London. And unfortunately, they weren't able to return her uh, skull to where her remains were because no one remembers where she was buried. There's no record of where she was buried. So she was buried formally, but it was just because the exact whereabouts is just unclear. So they were unable to find, which which sounds remarkable, actually, because it's Victorian era. You'd think they would be able to find it, but... I uh, I find that really. I mean, whilst you were talking, obviously uh, you can imagine, listener. Well, if you know me at all, <laughs> I went looking for anything I could find on her, and I found her on yeah. Find a Grave. I'm sure they know where she's buried now. Maybe they've just decided that's where she is, and and not said anything more about it. Um, Possibly. That's really. What I mean, a maybe crazy maybe the thing story. I read is wrong, or maybe they have now found it. I mean, yeah, that was 12 years ago. Maybe they have now found it, and returned her head. To her body, which is yeah. which we you know oh. hope we do because I mean if you remember you know she she liked things where she were she liked a tidy house you know a good household she wouldn't be one to wanting her head buried in one place in a pub her foot buried in Twickenham her body floating down the river you know she'd want herself to be all together <laughs> no so, of course yeah God but that yeah, is that such is the story. fairly gruesome tale of Miss Webster and Mrs Thomas and with an ending with David Attenborough. Out of nowhere. I mean, this story yeah, was already of... <laughs> good enough. It was already cool, interesting enough. But then, bizarrely, David Attenborough comes in right at the end. To you know to what I, it. you know what I'm thinking. I mean, Julia Martha Thomas might have been buried. I, I did a project a few years ago on the abandoned Victorian cemetery in Barnes, which is now completely overgrown. So she could be in there somewhere. Ah, uh, I mean, that, that would might probably make sense. That's probably what it is. Yeah, then, yeah. which is interesting. But anyway, yeah, so... that that is a cracking story. Really interesting. Yeah. I, I and can't believe Barnes. Yeah, exactly. That was really, really cool. Thank you for telling me something about where I grew up. I did look <laughs> up uh, the address, and luckily, it's nowhere near where I grew up. I mean, I mean, in terms of it wasn't on my street, so I don't have yeah. to worry too yeah, much yeah. about it. But uh, yeah, it's close no enough ghosts. to be chilling. I hope you listeners aren't listening yeah. to this too late at night, uh, because that will haunt my dreams for sure. <laughs> 
Is that one of our um, bloodiest tales? I reckon. It I was going to say which, this is our third series, and that has got to be the most brutal death, or that mm. I think we've done. It's, I mean, it's a it murder. reminds me of the Red I mean, Hatted the, podcast. It's proper. Yeah, proper yeah, concept. yeah. It's much more like that. It's like a. It's a proper murder. Like the assassinations are bloody, but they're usually quite quick. That's and true. And their gunshot wounds and stabbings or poisonings can be a bit gruesome. But this is cold and calculating, strangling your employer because she doesn't like the way you clean up, and then yeah. cutting her into pieces and sending. Out. Maybe we should put. We should. Put, I mean, we have an explicit warning, I think, on all our podcasts, but we should probably put some trigger warnings to this because it's a bit. It's a bit more intense than our normal. Uh, it is a bit. Nice. Oh, it's thing. fine. I think that uh, if you're still listening <laughs> after three series, you know what to expect from us uh, at this point. And when I'm next crossing Barnes Bridge, I will look over and. And uh, take a moment for the poor body that was picked out of there. Because I actually, yeah. my my family home isn't far from Barnes Bridge. So that's very much in my childhood. It's or wonder when you're walking across, what was the bridge you said that it most likely was that she threw Chiswick off the Chiswick is the next bridge up. So it's most so, likely that one. Have to find um, out whether Chiswick Bridge was, I assume Chiswick Bridge is old enough that it would be. Yeah, no, no, it is. It's a, it's a legit old bridge. Yeah. And then yeah. the next one up from there is a Victorian railway bridge, which I don't think you can walk on. So I don't. It must have been Chiswick Bridge. Yeah, um, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Presumably. Crazy. Well, so yeah. So when you're when you're next there, have a look over and just think about three hundred and thirty years ago, Miss Webster throwing over a box with the help of this random young lad, uh, Robert oh, Porter, taking advantage who was just, of. I feel that. Yeah, point. he was just like I can imagine him just wandering on the street, holding the box, going, "What's in here?" And she goes, "Nothing. It's just some clothes. I'm going to drop it off this bridge. My mate's going to pick it up." I don't yeah. know. Yeah, well, I wonder if that's why she was boiled. I don't know why she was boiled. Maybe that's what it was. I think he was trying to. She was trying to reduce him, reduce her down. You know. Yeah, I suppose to fit you in do the that box, with chicken yeah. and oh, it's horrible. No, we're Ugh. not going back there. Uh, okay. Well, thanks so much for uh, for listening, guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you. I think that was a substantially bloody tale. Um, actually, both our stories from London were pretty gruesome. Actually, I mean, your guy died pretty badly as well. So. Yeah, it's more forgivable. I mean, London's got a very bloody history. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So next week, uh, we'll be going somewhere very different indeed. We'll be going to uh, what used to be the heart of the Islamic uh, caliphate world of Baghdad um, in modern day Iraq. And I Mm. will be taking us through a quite choppy story of uh, a time in its history of great tumultuousness i'm not going to tell you any more than that because it will probably give it away um but yeah, yeah it's it's going to be it's going to be a, a good one so buckle up for another that. bloody and tale then, yeah and then after that a week later we'll have patrick's uh, baghdad one which you'll hear more about next week don't forget to uh, follow us of course on instagram at cloak and dagger podcast if you wanted if you've been listening to us talking about this haunting woman miss webster and you haven't gone to look at the images i really recommend you go on just to look at her because it will i mean maybe not at late at night because it is fairly terrifying but if you want to get some an idea and we'll throw up you know a map of london so if you're not from around here or haven't you don't know london that well like i don't you can have an idea <laughs> of where these places are uh, and we've put we put lots of good stuff on there, including some quizzes that Will puts together that I still don't do that well at, even though I did all these episodes. <laughs> but there's some cool stuff on there. So, yeah. And, you know, tell a friend about this. Rate us on wherever you get your podcasts. That's all the things we say, isn't it? We can't subscribe. I know YouTube is no, saying no, no, that's like fine. and subscribe. <laughs>
But yeah, thank you very much for listening and we will see you next week. See you later.